I appreciate you coming out today. I tell you what, y'all always exceed by, I must set the bar too low in my mind. And uh, other than, I know that many of you are just glad to get out, right? I started to text Joe, I told Jojo this morning, and I I said, Joe, I started to text you just a picture of me and Sister Sherry chilling in the house by herself. Say, it's not that bad. You know, if you'll just, you got to get a certain place in life. And then the pressure is gone from there. But I do, I'm thankful to be, that you were able to be. I hope everyone was safe. Obviously, that, that brought a uh, change on Wednesday that we were not quite anticipating. Several things took place. Uh, there was a funeral service that um, I was going to be uh, attending, and there were some folks here that were there. Just uh, I know it was difficult for them, but just all that came in. This, JoJo said the Panther Paul Hill there and everything was just chaotic on Wednesday right there when that storm, uh, when the ice the rain turned to ice so quickly, so obviously a lot's gone on in the world over the last few days that's drawn our attentions, hasn't it? And, uh, in, you know, we've been in a series of teachings from the year of faith. It kind of ended up settling towards covenant more than anything, but it was at a point, you know, during these two or three days that I had to spend time alone with the Lord that, you know, I was just like everyone else. I couldn't overlook the events that have been taking place, and Certainly did not need to overlook as to be a, someone praying for peace, right? It's, which is what we should all be doing, correct? I want to say this real quickly. Is I, if relief efforts are made available through the Assemblies of God and any other organization, but especially the Assemblies of God, um, I will make that known to you immediately. I checked this morning, and there's not anything that's made available as of right now. There's a few things that are being pushed through some of the national media, but I want to say you always have to use discretion with some of those, um, those relief agencies because sometimes that, uh, they're, they're, they have a, a bigger picture than just providing relief. So uh, obviously, I always try to encourage people, if at all possible, to go through church-affiliated or denominationally-affiliated, and the Assemblies of God has a great relief effort through Convoy of Hope and other emergency means, but I don't know that right now that anybody is given access to be able to provide that type of supplies to um, to people that are struggling in Ukraine as the as the war goes forward. But I can tell you this: we will make sure that we make that available to you if you, uh, as soon as that becomes available to us. I'm going to ask you to turn to three passages of scripture quickly. Only a total of seven verses to uh, to to begin our service here today, or, or the message. And we're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah first, Jeremiah chapter number three. That's where I'm going to begin at, and if you find it, I'm going to ask if you would honor the Lord by, the, by standing today. We do this, it's a tradition that we are a part of, and from there we're going to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, and then we're going to return to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, chapter 10. total of seven verses here this morning, and I appreciate you praying for me today that God would just speak to my heart. I really believe He's given me a word to share with you, and uh, I just pray that we have ears to hear what the Spirit says. For here Jeremiah prophesies of the day in which God said that I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And I chose this verse of scripture because that is my heart. My heart is towards you is that God would give me whatever I can gain through prayer and through meditation and through personal study, both knowledge and understanding, if in any way possible to help you in any way that you may be going through. Luke chapter 13, let's turn there. This is Jesus 
responding to a current event in his day, a tragedy even, a current event. Verse 1 through 5, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that those Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think you that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so 1 Samuel chapter number 10 is where I've extracted the title of the message today, and I'll try to explain that to you here in a moment. Maybe you won't catch it. Initially here, it's 1 Samuel chapter number 10, verse number 25. It says, Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom. And he wrote it in a book, and he laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. It's just those words that the way it was recorded, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel here in a moment of time says that Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom. If you read from another translation, I looked this up in multiple translations, I want to go ahead and share how that manner of the kingdom is written in the New International Version. Normally I would say the non-inspired version, but I won't do that today. The New International Version says the rights and the duties of the kingship. It just kind of got in my heart, my spirit, to just say, God, I want to know the manner of the kingdom. I want to know, I want to be able to, to say... All these things can be happening around us, but what's the manner of the kingdom? What's the response of God? What's our response to these things? So let's pray. Father, we love you today. I'm honored to be here to be able to share what you have placed in my heart today. The people are ready. I can see it on their faces. They're ready for a word from God. They're ready for something that is helping them to, to be able to... Um, to, to, to respond in the right sense to events that are happening in our world today. And God, I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God is going to speak to us and speak through us, that God, you're going to bring us peace. You're going to give us knowledge and understanding, Father, as, as Jeremiah prophesied. And we're going to look through the lens of Scripture, and we're going to filter life through the lens of Scripture today, God. So I pray that, Lord, as I said many times in this pulpit, let preaching come easy in this house. Come on, somebody. Somebody say that with me. Let preaching come easy in this house today, Father. Let the people be receptive in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said amen and amen. If I didn't get to, uh, to hug your neck or shake your hand before service, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming out today. You know, we've all been a part of church with changing seasons, things that have happened in the world. And anytime there are, there are world events that are very um, traumatic, it often awakens a... a a, a spiritual response in, in people. And, and thus, the things that have unfolded over the last several days with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has caused all of us to, to reflect and ponder, make opinions, become military strategists, all these things. But the thing that I want to do is, as a pastor, remember my heart, and that God said he would give us pastors whose heart was to give people knowledge and understanding, is I hope that I can relate to world events as Jesus did, but to filter them through the right lens. And that text in Luke's gospel, Jesus looked at, you know, remember information is made available to us so quickly today. But in, in, in ancient of days, information traveled very slowly. 
By the time word got to Jesus, he was aware of two uh, traumatic events that had caused the death of a number of people in his community. And Jesus, you know, oftentimes in that day, people looked at it and said, well, that's because they were sinners. Well, Jesus, he, he brought a rebuttal to that. And he said, no, he said, we really got to cause that event to cause it to cause it to look, that we would look at ourselves, to look in within, to make sure that we're walking in the faith because there's no certainty in life. Right. And so I want to certainly do that today. And I want to make sure that I filter current events through the lens of Scripture, but not necessarily just through eschological doomsday type Armageddon into the world type teaching. Because that's always the, the, the typical response within the church. And I'm going to address that here in a few moments. But rather, I want to just say, but God, what's happening in Ukraine? What's happening in Russia? What's the Spirit of God saying to the church? What's God saying to us? What's the manner of the kingdom? How do we respond? You know, well, what, what place do we take? How, how do we intercede? Let me just go ahead and jump in real quickly because... I, I, being a military person myself, nine years in the military, having three sons in the military, I, I weighed those things heavily in the balance, and I think about what it would be like. I think about the Ukrainian military. I think about the Ukrainian citizens. But I also, let me be honest, I think about the Russian military member who's simply following the commands of his hierarchy. He's, he feels like he's showing duty to his country. 18 and 19-year-old boys typically don't have worldviews formed at that time. But they, they have a sense of allegiance to the country. And almost like in World War, not World War I, but the Civil War, when you had the North with, with Christian chaplains, and you had the South with Christian chaplains, and you had the Southerners praying to a Christian God, and you had the Northerners praying to a Christian God. Did you know the Ukrainians are praying to God? But did you know that the Russian people, 67% of the Russian people, uh, profess Christ? Not, not, they may not, I'm not saying they're born again, but I'm telling you the Russian people are not the same people that were the USSR, the USSR 40 years ago when it was godless communism. And so, so that just makes it all even harder to understand, right? And at the end of the day, I'm praying, I'm going to be honest, I'm not only praying for the, the, for, for the Ukrainian people, but I'm praying for the Russians. I'm praying for God to turn the heart of Putin. Can I say that way? Is that you say? I want to be careful saying Putin in church. I've thought it many times, perhaps done it and didn't tell anybody. I know Joe has. But the Bible says that God can turn the heart of the king whithersoever he may. And so let me go ahead and go. So what, so what do we need to do? We, we need to, the thing I want to challenge you today is be very, very careful not to be entertained by war. Because it can be so available to you on your phone or in your television. And I know we need to be informed. Every one of us need to be informed. But we need to be informed because we need to be prepared ourselves for fallout. We also need to be prepared to pray for people. But if you're not careful, you'll get pulled or lured into that that becomes entertainment. I mean, where you just can't wait. You're just, you just become so, you're just right in front of the television because it, you, you're, so your curiosity has, has lured you to that place. And you lose the perspective. I'm telling you, we've got to be kingdom-minded, no matter what's going on. It's the manner of the kingdom that I'm concerned about. Now, stay wise. Support faithful, benevolent ministries. We'll get to that when we get information. Stay vigilant. Live life prepared. War has many casualties, right? And the repercussions of what's taking place in Europe will be felt around the world as it already is. Your dollar will be worth less. 
Petroleum products will be more expensive than they've already been in the, uh, in the inflation that we've all been enduring. Come on. Right? And so then, you, then what does that mean? That means that you've got to make better financial decisions than you've made in the past. Right? I mean, Joe walks around this church here. Not, he doesn't have Hillsong on in his ear. He doesn't have Bethel worship on. Joe walks through the hall of this church, and he's got Dave Ramsey going on. And, and, and staying vigilant about financial matters. Right? Because it does matter. It's the manner of the kingdom. So what I've decided to do, I said, God, I've got to go to the Word of God and look for a word for the people. And so I found myself in a strange place, 1 Samuel. And when I did, I've got to take a few minutes to tell you about the text. So in a moment, we're going to go into the text and extract just a few little tidbits. But I'm going to put you in the context. So just give me a few minutes to just broaden the context that I'm going to go in. So 1 Samuel is the season of transition where Israel goes from being judged by judges such as Samson and Jephthah, men that we read about following the, the, the possession of the promised land after the death of Joshua, judges, Barak, and, and Deborah judged the people. But, but, but there was a cry in the hearts of the people for a king. And now Samuel, who was given over to the temple uh, or the, the tabernacle as a young child by his mother Hannah, who had prayed so fervently for a child, knew that she had a child destined to be in the ministry, brings him to the, ta the tabernacle, and Eli, the priest, raises him. And he, the, the, there was a prophetic transfer from Eli, who was muted, who lost his prophetic edge because of the, he, he did not constrain the, his sons who sinned at the entrance of the tabernacle. And there was a prophetic anointing that fell on Samuel. And Samuel was used mighty by the, by the power of God. You can read about uh, his testimony. But what Samuel wasn't, he wasn't a military leader. And the people just began to cry out. They wanted a military leader. And so finally they arrived at a moment when there was a war and, and, and it was really close. And they just came to Samuel and they just said, you got to get us a king like everybody else. you got to get us a king. And so Samuel prayed to talk to God about it. And God, when God heard it, and it wasn't like it caught God off guard, and it wasn't like he had to have Samuel relate it to him because he didn't know. But it was just simply revealed that way in the Word of God that God told Samuel this. He said, Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Because God intended to be the king of the people of Israel. And so, but the people continue to persist. How many of you know sometimes you can persist and obtain something from God that was never the revealed will of God for your life? And they persisted and persisted until finally God consented or relented and allowed them to have a king. But he warned them of what would take place. And we're going to read that in just a little bit of what that king would do to their populace. And so we find that God sends Samuel and he anoints a young man by the name of Saul. Now, we're familiar with Saul, more familiar with the latter days of Saul when the contention between him and David but if you'll take the time to read in the early days of Saul, and that's where I'm extracting the context of today, there were some early successes. Saul was a goodly young man. He was honorable in his family. He was tall like our own Caleb. He stood head and shoulders above anybody else. He could not hide in the crowd. And so he was chosen by the Lord. And when you read the record 
that, that the, the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he had been anointed. And then in chapter number 11, there was a moment there. Uh, even before that, God had sent him up to a prophetic moment where the Spirit of God would come upon him. That was that passage in chapter number 10. I didn't read it with you, but God sent him up to a hill where prophets were prophesying like we have on the platform. And God sent him there because the anointing was on them. And if Saul would get near them, the Spirit of God would come upon him. And it did come upon him. And so there was an anointing on Saul's life. Chapter 11 of this text, I'm kind of going to give you a quick overview from chapter 11 to chapter number 15. He hasn't been anointed king very long. Matter of fact, he really doesn't have an administration. He doesn't have a house or a kingdom or any such thing. All he has is oil on his head and a few people that believe in him. When the, when the Bible tells us that the Ammonites invaded the land and came against Jabesh Gilead and threatening them, almost like what you see happening with Russia and Ukraine. And finally, Saul hears about it. The Spirit of God comes upon him. He rallies an army. I love to read, go back and read it on your own. He told the people of Jabesh Gilead, he said, about the time the sun gets hot tomorrow, you get ready. He said, because help is on the way. And he was confident in God, and God used him, and they won a great victory. And when they won a great victory, everybody realized, they thought, man, this is it. They, as a matter of fact, when they won their great victory, they said, God saved the king. God saved the king because they believed that this was the right moment. They had attained the king that they had needed to lead them in and out of battle. But in chapter number 12 of this, something begins to shift. Samuel begins to re-instruct the people and the king to make sure. So he, God, I'm, I'm telling you what I appreciate about Samuel. Samuel did not whitewash anything. Samuel didn't, uh, Samuel didn't hold anything back. Samuel looked at them and said, this wasn't God's best. But I tell you what, there's a way to recover it. But you got to be faithful. Be faithful to the word of God. He, he told the king and all the people, keep the word in the forefront. Follow God. Love God. Serve God. And God can still use this, even though this wasn't his best for our nation. In chapter number 13, though, two years into Saul's reign, war with the Philistines. And Samuel promises to meet Saul. He said, before the battle, we're going to sacrifice. And he gave a seven-day window and he said, I want you to remain there till I get there, and then we're going to sacrifice, and then the men can go off to war. Well, after seven days, Samuel was slightly delayed, and Saul was losing the people. And when he lost the people, he, he said, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice. And he sacrificed, and as the smoke is ascending into the air, about that time, Samuel appears. And he says, what is this that's going on? And he said to Saul, he said, why didn't you wait on me? I gave you a prophetic word, wait on me. And Samuel told Saul, he said, Saul, because you haven't obeyed the word of God, God's going to reject you as king. Now, God was still willing to use Saul. So we see at that context that there was a warfare and God honored and battle lines were drawn and with the Philistines and the, the Israelites were not heavily armed. I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. And but God, through Jonathan, God used Jonathan and his armor bearer. Remember Jonathan, the dear friend of David later? He was a mighty warrior. And God used him to slay about 20 Philistines in the space of a half acre, the size of this church, 50 by 100 approximately, right here, about a half acre. And that, that him and his armor bearer, anointed of God, go and attack the Philistine encampment, and they kill 20. And when they did, that word spread through the Philistine camp. And when it spread through the Philistine, fear and terror goes over them. And then the, the people of Israel once again win a great victory. 
But then, again, this text, you have to read it. There's a lot of nuances to it. Takes us to chapter 15, and this is the final straw. All this is happening over several months of time. Remember, the unique thing about the Word of God is, is that you can go over many months or even years of human history by the turn of one page. And so all this is taking place, and so then the Bible tells us that God puts a prophetic word in Samuel that he's going to use the armies of Israel to bring judgment. How many know God is sovereign? And we don't always understand judgment, but we have to simply trust in the sovereignty of God. We're going to get more into that in a moment. So the prophet Samuel comes to Saul, and he says, now is the time that I want to judge Amalek. And you say, what's that all about? That when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the Amalekites attacked them when they weren't prepared for warfare and God hadn't forgotten. How many know God doesn't forget in that sense? And so in that moment, he said, here's what I want you to do, Saul. He said, I want you to gather the army to go against the Amalekites. And he said, it's going to be without mercy. Warfare, like if it happened in our generation today, it is genocide. And so God instructs Saul to not only slaughter all the warriors, but every living, breathing citizen of the Amalekites, including their animals. It's hard for us to think about a loving God. But let me tell you, he's God and you're not. And so we trust in his sovereignty. Isn't that right? And so Saul does in his mind exactly what Samuel says, including kill all the livestock. Every sheep, every goat, every cow, every horse, every chicken running through the yard, God said, take it all out. He's literally wiping out the memory of the Amalekites from from amongst his people. And so the warfare takes place. They win a great war. Samuel comes. He gets near. Saul comes out to meet him. He's excited. And Samuel can hear something. And what he hears, he hears the sound of sheep Amongst the men. And he says, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? He said, well, we, caught, we killed everything, just like the Lord said, except for, except for we decided to keep just a, the very best so that we could offer them and sacrifice to God. And also, he said, who's that brother over there in chains? Well, that's Agag, the king of the Amalekites. We kept him alive too. And when Samuel heard that, Samuel reproved him again with famous words that we'll get to here in a few moments. And, he's t- and he told Saul, he said, because you won't obey the word of God, because you fail to obey. I'm, I'm telling you, we, o- we need to obey even when we don't agree with it. right? Even when we say, I-, I-, I can't find the reasoning behind it. Listen, he's the potter. You're the clay. right? How are we to say, to raise our fist towards God and say, why hast thou made me thus? We simply obey what God reveals. And so God told Samuel, or through Samuel, God told Saul, he said, the kingdom's going to be rent and taken away from you. And that's how the 15th chapter of the book of Samuel comes to a close. Now, that's a very exciting text, isn't it? But in the days that we have gone through in the last several days, I find myself, I found myself finding through the lens of that, those passages, I found God speaking to me to bring words to you, the manner of the kingdom. So I'm going to drop some things down in your spirit. Many of these are going to be taken directly from these these passages. Some of these are not. Some of these are just things I just really feel like I'm going to need to say. Number one today, I'm going to put this on the screen. They've got some bullet points we're going to put here. But be very careful. 
when you watch things that are taking place, be very careful prophetically. Be very careful to say those things that are happening there are happening in fulfillment of your personal interpretation of what you think Armageddon and Revelation and the end of the world is going to be. Be very careful because I already know what happens with televangelists and big-name preachers. The very next book will be coming off the presses in the next two weeks. And, 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 they, and they, they will want you to purchase it. And I'm not saying, I didn't come along to tell you today that what's happening is not the beginning of World War III. I'm not saying, I don't know. But I, the reason why I can say this is because the Ukrainian people may push back. So what if, you, what if you buy in and you read the book and you say this is Armageddon and this is the end and we look up and in three weeks Ukraine is free and Putin is embarrassed and, and has retreated back to Moscow? Come on. Listen, with God all things are possible. So be very careful. Be very careful making that into a cataclysmic world event. It could be a border war. Now it could be World War III. It could be the beginning uh, the beginning uh, stages of it. I don't know. There's only one that really knows, and that's God. So be very cautious. That's just from my heart to yours. Number two, I know that doesn't get many books sold. Obviously, I don't have a long list. Number two today, though, said this previously, but you've got to get this in your spirit. You've got to know this. God is sovereign over the nations. What do you mean by that? that that's, a, that's a weird verse of Scripture. Odd, isn't it? You say, is there a verse? Yes, there is a verse. What verse is it? It's when an angel came to Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, the king of Babylon, the, the, the power, uh, the, the, the world's greatest power in, in uh, 586, somewhere in that area, who Nebuchadnezzar had grown, had grown arrogant. And an angel came down from heaven and told Nebuchadnezzar and said, you're going to eat grass like an ox until you know that God rules and reigns in the kingdoms of men. Now, why am I saying that? that I'm saying that in the manner of the kingdom, the manner of kingdom is this. The kingdom of God is going to be advanced whether it's wartime or peacetime, right? The light of the gospel is going to shine, right? And there's no war or there's no peacetime that can prevent it. As long as we are faithful to God to live righteously before him and to shine forth the word of God in truth, then the kingdom is going to advance. God's sovereign over the nations. The last I looked and read... That Christ and his apostles ministered in a land that Rome called Palestine at a time that they occupied that land, and it was during the time of Roman Empire expansion. But the gospel still went forth. God can use events for his sovereign will, and we trust him. Amen. Number three today don't put your faith in the king. <laughs> Can I say that real quickly? And I don't care. So just real quickly, the people of Israel had put their faith in a king to lead them in battle, and it was actually a rejection of God. So no matter who is in the White House, Democratic, Republican, or Independent, male or female, black or white, don't put your faith in the person that sits in the Oval Office. God is your refuge. He is your fortress. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Right? Our trust is in Him. Come on, somebody. Come on. Our early American forefathers said this, no king but Jesus. Come on. Jesus is my king. 
And so, now that doesn't mean that we don't pray for leaders, that we don't pray for God to give them wisdom and discretion. And we certainly, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that when the, when the sinners rule, the people groan. But when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. So we pray for God to give us men and women of biblical convictions. But let me tell you, my faith is not in the king and neither should yours be today. Number four today, Saul had early success, but he failed to honor God in seemingly little things. Little things. Because Think about that for a moment of time. The first failure of Saul was this. Samuel was 15 minutes delayed. 15 minutes, and he said, I, I, I have been trying to keep the people focused for seven days. I can't wait another couple of hours. And he went ahead and he lit the match and he offered the sacrifice. And that little moment, that 15 to 30 minute moment where he didn't wait on God. I'm going to tell you, God's a God of the little things. Right? The little things matter. Right? Jesus said, if you can't master the little things, come on now, you won't be a ruler over many in my kingdom. Right? So you and I have got to take mind, be mindful of these things, of things that are going on. That's why I'm telling you the little things matter. That 45 or 50 minutes or an hour that we spend in front of the television glued to it watching, almost becoming military strategists ourselves, be very cautious. Be very cautious because that time could be vested in doing something else that really is going to matter in the kingdom. Be mindful of the little things. That's something that we all need to, to drop down in our spirit. And so the manner of the kingdom is that the little things that matter whether or not we agree with them. Number five, I want you to hear this one. Communism through China is a real threat. We're hearing a lot of that being talked about, correct? A dictatorship through Russia, that's a very real threat. But the abuse of power through executive order, whether it be Republican or Democrat, is a very real threat in the nation that you live in today. We're coming through two years where we've seen governors across this nation make themselves little kings and abuse the power that was committed to them through the Constitution and through the consent of the governed. So let me just tell you, it's not just Russian power that we need to see checked. It's not just communist China that needs to be checked. But there can be an abuse of power right here in the nation. Let's go to this passage in 1 Samuel chapter number 8. Look at this, verse number 11 through 18. It's about eight verses. But I think you should read it, though. I think you should. Even though I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing it. But this, was when, this is when the people wanted a king. And this is what Samuel said. I, we're going, God said he's going to give you a king. But you've got to be prepared because this is what's going to happen. It's because this is, there's going to be an abuse of his power. He's going to reign over you, and he's going to take your sons, and he's going to appoint them for himself, for his chariots, for his horsemen, and some of them shall run before his chariots. He's going to appoint him captives over thousands, over fifties. He's going to cause them, they're going to reap his ground, his harvest, and he's going to make his instruments of war and his instruments of chariots. He's going to take your daughters to be, to, 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 to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. He's going to take your fields, your vineyards, and your olive yards and the best of them and give them to his servants. He's going to take the tenth of your seed. I hate to say I would almost take a 10% tax, but we won't go into that today. Let's move on down for just a moment right there. He'll take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He'll take your men servants, your maid servants, and the goodliest young men and your asses and put them to work. He'll take the tenth of your sheep. He'll take your servants. And you will cry out in that day. 
You will cry out in that day because of the king, not that's coming from a far country to oppress you, but you'll cry out because of the oppression of the king that you elected to govern you. So there's a lot that's going on in the national media about greatest threats. In a moment, I'm going to get to that communist China and the dictatorship that's in Russia. But I'm telling you, sometimes the abuse of power can be right here among us. And it's to be checked by the people, right, by a free people. And that's who we are, one nation under God, indivisible. Come on, somebody. And we need to be aware of this. And you need to know your rights and your privileges and the freedoms that have been granted to you because there are people that want to take them from you. Let's go a little bit farther. I know you aren't shouting me down, but I came along to preach anyhow. I'm old enough now. I can retire if I have to. I might have to eat beans every day and pick up Coke bottles along the, the side of the road. But I'm at that point now I've got to preach my conviction, even if it offends somebody. I've said all along, we live in a day when everybody has a platform. Social media has given people platform that we would have never thought 50 years ago that people of this nature would have platforms. And they have, especially through, uh, through, the, the, through media and with the entertainment industry, until the, the young adults, listen, the young adults that, that, that are among us, your children, are far more influenced by entertainers and sports icons than Joe Riggs and Pastor Brown. They're confronted at every moment of information to, 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 to cause them to think a certain way. Listen, I want you to know, I think about young men and young women that are coming at the age of military. I, do, I, I hear people, I say this, and man, we, we've got to respond. We've got to, we've got to go over and defend the people of Ukraine. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm not saying, but I will say this, I cringe just a little bit. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just be honest, this is outside of my notes, and I, I didn't know if I would go there, but I tell you what, I still like to see people rise up and fight for their own freedom, because you can sit back and be an armchair military strategist and say, we need to send our troops when it's not your son or your daughter. I've got three sons that are in the military right now, so yeah, I think about it, and some of you do as well. Joe, I think about the young man that's sitting at your side right there, who two and a half years from now could have a metal hat on his head, and he could be crawling around in Ukraine or Russia fighting a world war. And so we got to be very cautious and pray and say, God, we're looking to you, the manner of the kingdom. We need the sovereignty of God. We need, the, we need God's wisdom, not the wisdom of men. We need, the, we need the wisdom that comes from God. Here's another argument that I'm hearing spoke of, spoken of on the, on the airways. It's this. Is Russia or China America's greatest threat? Have you heard that argument? Even though Rom, wasn't it Romney, he came out in some of those con debates back in 2012 and said Russia was, and now he felt justified at this because people have kind of not looked towards Russia anymore and we've kind of shifted towards uh, the communism in China. That's the debate. Have y'all seen that debate? Am I the only one? Right? Y'all have heard that debate, correct? Right? And, and some of the young adults may not be following it as closely. And, and, so, and I don't follow it as closely as I make it sound, but I do glean it. I want to be aware. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can, you can, you can, you can look at me, and you, I, I may hurt some of your feelings today, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to. But I'm going to go back to ancient Israel real quickly. Ancient Israel's greatest threat was not an opposing army coming against them. Matter of fact, in the text that I read, or that I gleaned from 1 Samuel 11 to 1 Samuel 14, 
Saul fought against the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the kings of Zobah. Outside armies were never the greatest threat. It wasn't the sword. Let me tell you what it was. It was their culture. It was their religion. It was their sexual vices. It was their idolatrous practices. So in America today, this is me, I believe that far-left liberalism and progressivism to be a greater threat to America's security than either China or Russia. That's what I believe. And I want to go on record today. I've been telling people for 25 years, today's Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party of your forefathers. It's been taken over from within. And so I want you to know just real quickly today, 40 years of teaching humanism, secularism, and globalism in our schools and universities has eroded America's faith in God, number one, and our national sovereignty, number two. This is the God's honest truth. Biden seems to be more concerned with Russia or Ukraine's borders than with our own. You can say whatever you will, but I'm telling you, it is a threat to the national security of America when two million people have crossed the southern borders of America this past year alone. Right, so I'm just trying to tell you to be vigilant and don't get caught up into the, uh, the deception. And I also believe, number two, the greatest threat to America is our freedom. Our freedom unrestrained by godly convictions and morals. And that was the greatest fear of our forefathers. Our greatest, the greatest fear of our forefathers would be that there would be no opposing army that could stop us but rather when we take our freedoms and we satisfy and gratify carnal and ungodly lust. We see that happening among us every day. And we're selling ourselves out and our children for the lust of the flesh. So it is a dangerous time. So I believe that in my mind and in my heart, you, if you were preaching, you would might have it entirely different as of what you believe are the greatest threats. But that was what was in my heart, and so I brought it to you today. One of the biggest lies shared today is this two-word right here. Biggest lies. Number seven, our democracy. What? Pastor Brown, what? Our democracy? Lie? What do you mean by that? We are a democracy, aren't we? We are a constitutional republic is what we are. Now, I know people use democratic versus uh, constitutional republic interchangeably at times. And some people have sincere motives. They're not trying to be deceptive. But you let a preacher go ahead and tell you today, by the ear of the Spirit. I can't tell you all the politicians are laying their head upon the Word of God and saying, God, give us a word. But there are preachers that are, and I'm one of them, and I've been one that's been like Jeremiah. Give me a heart for the people that I could give them knowledge and understanding. What is the intent of making the mindset that we are a democracy? It is of the socialist to create the notion that in a democracy, the majority will of the people can always suppress states' rights or individual rights. For in a constitutional republic, the rights of the individual are protected from that of the masses. But the enemy is planting the seed. See, in Saul's day, the people voted. The people said, we're going to have a king. God said, no. The people said, we're going to vote. We want a king. And democracy won out, and they got a king. I didn't tell you the whole story, but in that last chapter, chapter 14 or chapter 15, when Saul kept the sacrifices, he kept the sacrifices because the people voted. 
The people voted and said, hey, Saul, we gathered together and we're at 72%. 72% want to keep these good animals and sacrifice to God. Though the prophetic word, the prophetic word said, offer all of them on the battlefield, not on the altar. So let me just say this, the vote of the people is not always the will of God. And you better be aware of that. And we better be aware of it. Number eight, these are the things that you just got to catch. These are freebies real quickly. These are kind of out of the, 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 the soberness of what we're preaching, what I'm preaching today. But listen, why am I doing this, church family? The reason why I'm doing this is because I think you got to have a filter. You can't just look at Fox News and CNN News or CNBC or NBC or ABC and say, man, that's the truth. you got to see what's happening and then say, God, let me filter it. Let me filter it. What are you saying to them? I know what the television newscast or broadcasters saying. I know what they're saying. I know what our politicians are saying. But God, what are you saying? What I'm telling you is let's be mindful of the manner of the kingdom, the rules and responsibilities of the kingdom, and let's pray for the kingdom of God to advance during wartime or at peace for the light of his truth to go forward. That's my prayer. Three things from Jonathan. Why do I say that? There's only ten of these, and I'm just going to drop three little nuggets real quickly. These are free. Jonathan is a hero in this story. You've got to read it on your own, chapter 14. First of all, number one, don't make foolish vows. He almost saw, Jonathan almost lost his life because his dad made a foolish vow. The people were about to go out to war, and they were going to be famished because it exerts. I, I wouldn't know. I was in the military, but I wasn't combat. And so, but I can only imagine that when you're fighting all day with a sword in your hand, and so Saul had said, if anybody eats anything today, he said, before the sun sets, he's going to die. And it, it almost cost them the battle. The people were almost faint. They actually, later, they fell upon some of the animals and ate them with the blood, ate them raw. They were so, they were so uh, famished during the battle. But Jonathan had taken his, his spear and saw honey that had fallen I don't have time to develop it. Some tell us that it's date honey, not the honey of bees, had fallen on the ground, and he took the end of his spear, and he touched it, and he ate a little bit of it during the battle, and it enlightened his eyes. So number one, don't make foolish vows and don't make promises that you can't keep. But number two, in the midst of crises, you need to eat a little honey. In the midst of things that are sour around us, let me tell you, what's honey to us? He is honey to our soul. His word has been honey to my mouth and in my spirit. With everything that's taken place that can, can reverberate fear in our hearts over the last few days, let me tell you, if you'll get alone with God and be in his presence, I'm telling you, it'll be honey to your soul. It'll be refreshing to your heart. And number three, real quickly from Jonathan, we learned that God can deliver through many or through few. He doesn't always need a big army to do his will. Jonathan won a great battle with just him and his armor bearer. And I want you to know we can trust God to be mighty among us. I got two more today, the most important. I've saved the, last, the best for last, directly from this passage. During the text of Scripture, it, I didn't read. We're going to show you a passage, though. You've got to see this because it speaks to us today. It should speak to the people of Ukraine. It speaks to the people of Europe. Number nine today, real quickly, is this. There were no smiths. What does that mean? I'm not talking about Larry and Karen. What does it mean, no smiths? 1 Samuel 13 is a unique, something's interjected here that there's a word in this. 
There's a word for the nations in this. And I know I'm just a squeaky voice preacher in the hill country of north central Arkansas, but here's a word. There were, this was at a time of battle. This is a time that the Philistines were amassing their arms. This is a time that the Philistines, how many know the Philistines were along the coast of Phoenicia? And so this is what the scripture says. They were the ancient Israel, uh, enemies of Israel. Always, read the, read the kingdom years. They were always fighting with the Philistines more than any others. And during this time, though, there was no smith found in all the land of Israel. The Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves sword or spears. Read on down. And all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen their axe, their share, their culture, and their axe, and their mattock. We're going to read it on down, a couple of verses. They had a file for the mattocks and the cultures and the forks and the axes to sharpen the goads. And it came to pass in the day of battle. Read that. that, that that's sobering. That's sobering. In the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people. Two things I want to drop that in your spirit. People, we, we think about we're all the way across the ocean and we're saying we may have to respond to help Ukraine. And then you think about Europe. Think, well, why can't Europe go and help the, the, the Ukrainian people right now? It's because Putin controls the natural gas and the oil. And because they become dependent, some countries are, of Europe are 100% dependent upon the petroleum products made in Russia. And so as an end result, it's cold in Europe right now. And if you respond, they turn off the natural gas and the oil. So it's a tough situation. And that's why I tell you what, we often talk about it here as Americans, that we, that's where national sovereignty can, should come in. And that we should say, yes, we need to provide right here on the good old USA. We need to provide whatever resources and not be dependent upon foreign governments to keep us warm in the winter or to put fuel in our automobiles. But beyond this, the weaponry. I've got to talk to you about that in closing today. The weaponry. How many of you have seen that the, that the president of Ukraine is willing to pass out guns to any citizen who will take them up? And now there's a clarion call for anybody, any person who they could, they could make themselves into Ukraine, they'll arm you. If you could get a ticket and somehow land and cross over the border and get into Ukraine, they'll put a weapon in your hand. But here's what we have to learn from what happened in the days of Israel. Why are the people of Ukraine just now being armed to defend themselves? You do the study on it. The Ukrainian people, 10% of the population had a weapon, had a gun. They allow, their government allows for people to own a weapon, but there are strict guidelines. Self-defense is not a reason to own a weapon, only to go hunting or to be a collector. So 10%. And what I read is that, that, that it's left to a lot of local authorities to make a decision. So, Roger, if you come in and request a, uh, to buy a gun, then the local authority can say, I don't know if he should or could or would. And so the people just now are being armed to defend themselves. Our forefathers as Americans believed that a well-armed populace, also known as the militia, was the key to be a deterrent to tyranny. And when the Japanese attacked at Pearl Harbor, there's one reason why with the Pacific Fleet defeated, that they didn't come on over to California and begin to invade, invade America. 
It's because out of every nook and cranny, out of every hill and out of every valley would come an armed militia man or woman who would defend their country to the death. And so let me tell you today, this is my word to yours. Don't let the politicians of our day take the Second Amendment away from your right to bear arms and protect yourself. Not only from invading countries, but also from tyranny within. And I'm not, a, I'm not a, an activist in the sense that I don't have an armed weapon beside my bed when I go to bed at night. Some of you do, I do not. I have a safe, I have shotguns in the safe. And they're for turkey hunting with Shane in Nebraska in a month and a half. It's a date, a mandate. That's what they're for. But in the day of battle, if anything, it's a deterrent. It's a deterrent. Peace by strength. Did you know that we see them talking about Taiwan and what China may become to invade Taiwan? 0.1% of the people of Taiwan have a weapon to defend themselves. In the United States, I'm going to go ahead and just share this with you. I feel like I'm going to do it anyhow. In the United States, there are more weapons than there are people. Don't tell me it's not a deterrent. It is a deterrent. Listen, real quickly. The number of guns owned by Americans exceeds the population. The lowest number of Americans, and even with that, only 37% of American households have guns. Did y'all know that? Even with that. The lowest number of people that own guns, this is the facts, read it on your own. Liberals, Democrats, women, and Easterners. The ones that are most prone to own guns are conservative, they're men, they're rural, and they're in the South. And that's who you are. And I'm just going to tell you today, not that you want to be John Rambo in your mind, because you don't. And I can't fathom none of us unless you have been there combat arms. You can't fathom it, and neither can I. But if it's enough of a deterrent, I'll fill a safe full of weapons if I have to, to be a deterrent that I would never have to use them. Come on, somebody. Amen. If we can't learn, look at this. That, if that doesn't penetrate into your spirit, then your heart is not right with God today. It came to pass in the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people. That was a traumatic and a vulnerable place that the people of Israel found themselves in. And only the sovereign grace of God protected them. Number 10 today to close. Are y'all out there today? Some of you have said, Pastor, I've been waiting for you to close from the time you started. Some of you probably not. But this is in my heart. We filter. We filter world events. We filter. We say, God, what are you saying to us? Come on, what are you saying to us? Lastly today as I close, this is the last thing here today I want you to see. So that chapter, chapter 15, when Saul was reproved by Samuel. And he told him, he said, the kingdom is being taken from you. Saul, Saul said, I, I want you to, you've you, you got to honor me in the sight of the people. You've got to sacrifice for me. And, he, and But Saul, Samuel said, no, I'm not going to. And he turned to walk away. And when he turned to walk away, he reached up and he caught his garment and it was tore. And some, Samuel turned to Saul and said, he said, God has rent the kingdom away from you. Because Samuel had reproved Saul with these words. 
When Saul said, but look, I kept the very best for the people to sacrifice to God. Samuel said famous words. Read it on your own, 1 Samuel chapter 15. He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience comes as a reflection of the heart. That's where your heart is pliable before God. Here's really the heart of this in closing. Saul was at a place he wanted people to perceive him to be righteous whether or not he was pleasing to God by his faith or not. And I want to tell you, that's a, that's a sad place, but that's the place where a lot of people in America are at. They've got the cross, the T-shirt. They come through the doors of the church. They want, they, they want to be a part of the 70% that believe in God, but their heart's not pliable to God, not broken in the hand of God. Obedience says, God, I want to honor you no matter what. Even when I want to do it or even when I don't want to do it, that's who I want to be. And I believe that's the call to us here today. It's the call of the Spirit of God to us as a people. That's why, why did I say that? It's because Jesus took, go back to Luke 13 in your mind. Jesus took a climatic and a traumatic moment in his lifetime and he turned it to the people. And he said, don't judge that, judge yourself. Judge your heart. Is your heart right with God? That's what I want to do today. I don't know if that's the precursor to World War III. My prayer is that the Ukrainian people push back. That's my prayer, that they push back and it's resolved and, and, and Putin has to, again, he has to hide and, and sneak back to Moscow. That's my prayer today. But as I look at it, I want to say, God, I judge my heart. I judge my heart today. I want to be pleasing to the Father. Are y'all out there today? Daryl's join me on the platform. I'm closing the message today. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's what he said after he watched the Fox News and CNN, and he heard about 13 people dying or 18 people dying. When he, when he, when he heard about it, he said, guys, get your heart right with God. You're not promised tomorrow. That's what he said, paraphrasing. Jesus was quick to reprove hypocrisy. He was. Remember where Saul said God has rent the kingdom away? He's rent the kingdom away. Jesus himself said he'll take, if God's giving you six talents and you don't use it, God will take it from you and give it to someone who will use it. God will take it. He will because he's God. He's sovereign. He's sovereign over the nations. He's sovereign over you. And the sooner you begin to acknowledge that, the sooner you can then become more obedient to God than just having to look, just having to look. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus. Filtered through the lens of current events in his day, he used it as a point to call people to say, maybe I don't need to look at that screen so much and I need to look in my heart. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment of time today. Because I have one last thing to share with you in conclusion when we stand in a moment. But this is a moment of sovereignty. It's a moment of sincerity. It's a moment where a pastor, you, can not, you may have not agreed with everything that I said. You may have not. And that's your right to do so. I, I, I can't arrive at the pulpit every Sunday and everybody agree with everything that I say. You're, as a husband and wife, you may disagree with things by the time you get home. Much less me as a pastor that's preaching to a couple of hundred people. You may not agree with everything that I've said today, but the question I'm going to ask, can you agree with my sincerity? 
I say it sincerely. Be cautious of judging all these other things. Look inward first. Make sure you're in the faith. Don't be like Saul. Saul started out on fire for God. But he missed God on the little things. And when he missed him on the little things, he was set aside. What about your heart today? What about your heart? Are you in the faith? It's a simple question. Are you in the faith? Are you in the faith today? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you truly repented of your sins? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so in just a moment. It's a simple little prayer. It's a moment where we confess our sin and our dependency upon God. We ask the Lord for his help. We turn to Christ as our Savior. Is there anyone among us today? If you say, Pastor, I'm searching my heart today, and I'm not in authentic faith. I'm not in authentic faith. I've not trusted Christ. I've not followed the Lord with all of my heart. But today I'm prepared. I'm going to repent, as Jesus himself said, lest I too perish. If that's you, raise your hand today, because I want to pray with you if there's anyone today. Young or old alike. The current events affect the young as well as they do us middle-aged and older. They do. Young person, are you right with God today? Do you have the assurance? A young man stood on our stage and said, I've been thinking a lot about eternity. Have you been thinking about eternity? Have you been thinking about it? If you haven't, now's the time to do so. Life can change quickly. The people of Ukraine... Life changed quickly, quickly, just like that. Death became, death drew near to the doorstep. It's just that, I'm, Pastor, you're trying to scare people. I know I'm trying to be a realist here today. That's the world we live in. It's the reality of life. Is there anyone that says, Pastor, pray with me. I'll give you just a moment longer. I've just been waiting. I want to ask everyone to stand up today with me. We're going to pray. Before we pray to close, here's an, kind of an addendum. Put that little conclusion up there, if you will, Lord. How many know that even when things are chaotic, confusing, and I can't see the reasoning behind them, how many know God's always working? I'm going to show you two verses that brought encouragement to me. I was saddened by Saul, and, but, but I was appreciative God used his life to speak to my heart to bring you a message. But this was how chapter 15 ended. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. He grieved. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's how it ended. And if that was the end of the book, I tell you, it would be a terrible thing. Our hearts, we would still look back with sadness. But look at the first verse of the next chapter. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long? Wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go to whom I will send thee, to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For there's a young man out there skipping rocks amongst his father's sheep, and I've chosen him to lead my people. And we still recognize David to this day, 3,000 years later. What's that say to us? Go back to that. God is still at work. God's always at work. 
How many know God's working in Ukraine right now? God's working in Russia right now. God's working in America right now. God's always at work. The Spirit of God is always still hovering over the face of darkness. He's still at work. Let's pray that today as we close. Father, we've come to this house today with the context of the manner of the kingdom. What's the manner of the kingdom? In conclusion, that you're always at work. You're always working amongst the people of God and through the people of God. Today, as a people, we pray for the peace of Ukraine. Come on, somebody. That's a fair. You said, Pastor, I didn't agree with your sermon. If you, you need to agree with this part. God, we pray for the peace of Ukraine. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that whatever it takes, God, whatever intervention, whatever it looks like, God, we don't know the same way we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we pray for the peace of Ukraine. We pray for the protection of God's people, the children of God, whether they be in Ukraine or in Russia. Wherever the people of God are, I pray for protection. I pray that you'll keep us and keep them in the name of Jesus. But God, we recognize today your sovereignty over the nations. And God, we've been taught to pray this way during peacetime and at war. And that is, not my will be done, but Father, let your will be done in the earth. Let your will be done in the earth. Who will pray with me right now and say, God, I pray for the will of God to be done in Ukraine. The will of God. And I pray for the will of God to be done in Russia. I pray that men everywhere will repent and become peaceful to one another. Come on, that's a fair prayer. You may reject half of my doctrine today, but I hope you don't reject that. That's out of sincerity. That's as sincere as I can be. My prayer during COVID, my prayer during wartime and peacetime is this. It's not changed. Father, let us live a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness. And I pray that today for what's happening in Europe, God. Let them leave a quiet and peaceable life. That is the will of God. That's what we pray for Ukraine, God, in Jesus' name. Bless my church family. Let them go out of here today being encouraged in the manner of the kingdom. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Love one another. If you see somebody you don't recognize, make sure you introduce yourself to them. And I so appreciate you coming out.